we live uh, in a very chaotic world. Uh, you turn on the news, you can't help but just see that if it bleeds, it leads, right? And all the news tends to be negative. Uh, you see terror attacks going on around the world. Uh, right now in our world, Christians are facing persecution throughout the Middle East and Africa, other places. Uh, quite literally, people this week have given their lives for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's chaos. Uh, most of us also in our personal lives, we live with a certain level of chaos that's just kind of become normal to us, right? Um, all of us have stories of things that are not going the way we want them to in our lives, things that could be so much better. Uh, most of us have loved ones with health problems. Uh, my own family, my mother-in-law is in the hospital again after just getting back home from the hospital. Uh, pretty much everyone in this room has somebody that's a loved one that's facing something serious medically. You know, most of us have relationships that aren't going right, or we have job stress that tends to be overwhelming. Uh, many of us experience uh, personal chaos with our finances. Uh, just this week, someone stole my credit card number. I know, right? Uh, I'm not usually in favor of the death penalty, uh, but I'll make some exceptions. Okay, the world is full of stress, and it wants you to feel all of it. Now, so one of the things that I think drives people to church is the need for a peaceful foundation. Okay, we need a refuge in the storm. We need somewhere that we can go in our lives that provides us with some stability. We need to be somewhere that provides us with a foundation that we can rest on, find peace. We just sang the song about how Jesus is our foundation, and we celebrate that because we know that everything else in our life can fall apart, but we know the one place we can find peace and stability, and that's with our Lord Jesus Christ, right? The world will always be full of stress, okay, but when we come together, we celebrate it because we know that if our lives are focused on the kingdom of God, this is a place we can find some peace and some stability in a world that really doesn't offer us much of either. Okay, the world around me may crumble and fall, but so long as I've got the Jesus thing lined up right in my life, I know I'll be okay, right? Okay, but what happens... Okay, when we don't have the kind of church that we so much enjoy here, right? I appreciate what Randy said earlier in our service about how this is a church of peace. Okay, this is a church where we come together and we love each other. Okay, I've been part of a lot of different churches. This is by far the most peaceful one I have ever been at, and I love it. Okay, that's something we need to protect dearly, right? Okay, but what happens when church, instead of being a sanctuary in the storm, is a place of conflict and chaos and strife. Okay, how can we claim to follow the Prince of Peace, and yet so many of our churches are dominated by conflict? Okay, that's a situation going on in 1 Corinthians, the book that we're studying right now. If you haven't already done so, open your Bible to 1 Corinthians. Okay, what does it look like when a church is full of conflict instead of being a place of peace? You know, I was talking to a guy just the other day uh, about the pain he experienced in his last church because the church leaders couldn't get along with each other. Eventually, the church ended up splitting right down the middle, and a bunch of people ended up not going to either one of those church splits, but left faith altogether because they thought they were following the Prince of Peace, got something else instead, and now their lives are full of chaos. And have you ever known that story before? You've seen places where chaos reigned? It's a tragic thing. Way too many of us have had those experiences in our past. 
Okay, again, I say all this because in 1 Corinthians, Paul writes this letter to a church experiencing major conflict and strife, and he's laying out for them the foundation of how to have a healthy church. He says, you want to get past that. You want to be a church of health. Here's the kind of things that you need. Here's the lessons that you need. Okay, and so for us, if we want to protect what we've got, if we want to be a place of peace and stability in the midst of all the storms around us, these are the lessons that we need to make sure are vital and central to who we are as Christians. Okay, so here's the question. Do you really want to have unity in the church? Do you really want a healthy church? Here's what it looks like. Number one, focus on the cross. All right, we talked about this last several weeks. Okay, if we're really doing the gospel thing, right, if we're really focused on sharing that central story to a hurting world, then all of the other things that we can disagree about suddenly come into their proper perspective. Right? We can disagree on worship styles. Uh, we can disagree on ministry programs. But I think if all of us have the same focus on Jesus going to the cross, dying for our sins, if we have that cross focus, then we can be brothers and sisters. We can come to the same table in the kingdom of God and we can find peace, right? So number one is focus on the cross. Uh, number two, and this is what we spent our time last week talking about. Okay, again, all this is review, right? So don't fill out the blanks I put on your, your thing yet. All right, number two okay, is we need to develop the mind of Christ, Okay, if we have been baptized into Jesus, we have the gift of the Holy Spirit living in us. Our spirit, our personality, is now shaped in the way of Jesus. Okay, this is the process of spiritual maturity. It starts when we become a Christian, lasts through your whole life. We are on this journey of becoming more like Jesus. When I learn how to think more like Jesus, then I will act more like Jesus. What does it look like for us to have the mind of Christ? Okay, so Paul continues talking about the spirit and spiritual maturity. Here as we turn into chapter 3. Uh, so notice what Paul writes, chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, well, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? All right, I've got three questions for us as we think about having a healthy church. Number one is this. This is where you can write down notes if you've got your bulletin in front of you. Is how mature am I really? Okay, how mature am I really? You know, part of the problem with us developing spiritual maturity is that our human tendency, what all of us want to do, is we assume that we are more spiritually mature than we really are. Okay, part of the problem with Corinth is he's telling them, you all think that you're up here and you're living the Jesus life and you're doing it, but in reality, you're just starting your journey to be like Jesus, and you're not acting nearly as mature as you think you are. Okay, we think about ourselves, right? Well, maybe I used to be immature, but I can look at my life in the past. I know I'm more mature than I used to be, so that must mean that I'm spiritually mature. You know, the joke is that running into people uh, who think they know everything is really annoying for those of us who do, right? Uh, we all tend to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. Right? Part of the problem in Corinth, they think they're well mature and advanced with Jesus, and yet Paul has to remind them, you still got a long way to go if you really want to be living like Jesus, and you need to have the humility to understand how far you still have to go. He thinks he's perfectly capable of getting them there. 
All right? It's kind of like when my five-year-old son, uh, just the other day, he told me, Dad, I'm going to get a glass of milk. I says, well, let me help you with that. He goes, no, Dad, I can do this on my own. Right? And so I've got this vision of my five-year-old pulling out a gallon jug full of milk from the refrigerator and pouring it into a glass. Well, how's that going to work out for me? Right? He thinks he's capable, but he still has a long way to go. Okay, so Paul says that the evidence that the Corinthians are not as mature as they think they are is that they're still plagued by jealousy and quarreling. Right? He says if you've really developed the mind of Christ like we talked about last week, then you can't keep doing all of that petty stuff. Okay, so here's the challenge for us. As we look in the mirror, as we think about our own spiritual maturity, what are the petty things that I'm still dealing with in my life? Don't answer that for me. I'm asking that like for you, right? What are the petty things that we still get caught up with? What are the things that I get upset over? Okay, Am I get, whenever I get upset about something, is it upset about something that's related to the gospel of Jesus? Or am I upset about petty things? What is it that aggravates you? You really want to know how mature you are? What really gets you excited? Okay. Am I ready to put those worldly things behind me? Because unless I am, I'll never know true peace. All right, notice Paul goes on, verse 5. He says, What after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. Okay, in this next section, Paul will use two different metaphors uh, to talk about what he's, he's trying to get at with his spiritual maturity. And the first metaphor he has is of planting a seed. Okay, how many of you have ever planted a seed before? You've ever planted a tree or something? You ever done that three people have planted seeds before? Okay, okay, a few more. All right. Uh, whenever we first bought a house in Texas almost 10 years ago, uh, my wife and I planted a tree in our front yard. We actually ended up planting three trees. And planting trees in Texas is very different than planting trees in Georgia. Okay? You plant a tree in Georgia, you could throw a tree in Georgia out in the street and it'll still grow. Right? Um, in Texas, it's not like that. You've got to cut through the clay to get down to actual dirt underneath the clay. Okay? Um, I had to water that tree really regularly. I had to fertilize the tree. Right? A lot of work went into planting this tree. Um, and I actually planted three trees. Only one of them survived okay? after all of that work. All right, so I did a lot of work on that tree. Uh, but how much did I do to actually make that tree grow? How much growing of the tree can I do? Apparently not a whole lot if two of them died, right? Okay, what's my responsibility? In planting a tree, my responsibility is to create a healthy environment, but I don't make a tree grow. Who actually made the tree grow? God. Okay, I've been gone from there for five years now. Who's kept it growing all that time? It's not me, right? It's God. So if you compare my work, right, I felt like I worked really hard planting that tree. I spent like half a day planting a tree. Okay, compare that to the work that God has done in growing that tree. Who's actually got room to brag about what they did to make a tree grow? Yeah, it's not me, right? Okay, so Paul tells the Corinthians who are so impressed by the work of Paul or the work of Apollos or the work of whoever's been working in their church, he says, sure, that work was necessary, right? You don't get a plant without planting something, okay? But the servants aren't that impressive. Who gave the real growth? 
It's God. Okay, now, before we think about what that means for us, uh, I need to emphasize that this is not an excuse verse for dying churches, okay, which I've heard people use that before. They say, well, it's okay that we don't have a healthy environment in our church, and it's okay that our church isn't growing uh, because God is the one that gives growth, so it's okay that we're dying church. Right? That's not the point of, of Paul's verse here. Right? That's not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying when you look around and you see that growth has been taking place, you better not be the one to try to take credit for it because it's not your work. Right? It's the work of God. Right, um, I was in the hospital the other day uh, to see Robbie, who's still not here. He's at home recovering. And by the way, if any of you ever want to get out of my sermon, you can just leave. You don't have to call an ambulance and fake a heart attack and do all of that. Right? There's easier ways to avoid my sermons. Okay, but Robbie was at the hospital last week, and I went to visit him. Uh, and I was talking with somebody there um, who was also there to visit him about spending time in the hospital. Okay, because my oldest son has been in the hospital quite a bit, I've spent a lot of time sitting in hospitals. Uh, the other person I was talking to had some sick family before. He'd also spent a lot of time sitting in hospitals. Uh, and he said to me, oh, you've done more hospital sitting than I have. Okay, uh, maybe I have, maybe I haven't. But you know what? It's not a competition, right? How absurd would it be uh, if in my hospital journey with my son, my goal was to have a longer hospital stay than you did, okay? Was that my goal in going to the hospital? No. All I cared about was getting my loved one well, right? It's not a competition. If we turn it into a competition, we are focused on the wrong thing. All right, so think about Corinthians. Maybe Paul was a worse preacher than Apollos. Maybe Apollos was this great oratician and he could spin phrases much better than Paul could. Okay, maybe Paul was able to do some things Apollos couldn't do. Paul could heal people and do all kinds of impressive stuff. Okay, maybe somebody else was better than either one of them at being an administrator or a worship leader. Okay, guess what? It's not a competition. Okay, the goal of the Corinthian church wasn't to find the best preacher. It was to advance the kingdom of God. If I'm really mature, okay, then I can't be focused on that kind of competition thing right? That's where the Corinthians were stuck. Paul's trying to get him past it. We got to get past that too. Fair enough. How mature am I really? So this goes right to number two, and that is, is my focus really on the mission? Okay, if I'm mature, my focus will be on the mission. You know, if I'm upset that I don't get to do whatever it is that I think I should be doing, uh, then one, I'm not all that mature, and two, I'm not really that focused on the mission of God. You know, whenever I was a teenager, I thought that I would be a great worship leader. Okay? But then enough people in my home congregation heard me try to be a worship leader, and they said, maybe you should try preaching like your dad, right? You know, if I really care more about the mission than I do myself, I can't get upset with that. Right? What does Paul say? He says, we're servants. We're serving something bigger than ourselves. We are focused on expanding the kingdom of God to a world that desperately needs it. We are bringing peace to a world that knows nothing but chaos and strife. We are part of the most important work that's ever been done. How dare we focus on ourselves and say, well, I'm not getting to do the little job that I think I should be doing. Are we really focused on the mission or are we focused on ourselves? Okay, all of us are servants. Uh, we will talk more as we get later into this book about spiritual gifts. Right? Paul will bring that up about halfway through this book, and we talk a lot about what does it mean for me to use my gift and be part of the bigger body. And There's a lot of stuff Paul will address about this very issue. 
Okay, but before he gets to all the nuts and bolts of the specifics of that, he's got to hammer home to us that the mission is bigger than we are, and we've got to grasp hold of that vision before we're ready to think, okay, now what role do I play within it? Fair enough? All right. Verse 10. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only is one escaping through the flames. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. Okay, so Paul starts with a seed growing metaphor. Uh, Now he has switched and he's talking about a building metaphor. And the main point here is the foundation we already know, right? Who's the foundation we're building on? It's got to be Jesus or it's nothing, okay? We have Jesus as our foundation. Then we are building the kingdom of God. And there's two ways we can do that, okay? We can either do that with temple quality work, right? That's the gold, the silver, the costly stones, right? Or we can do that with the uh, shoddy work, with the wood, hay, or straw. Okay, and the main point here is that our work will be tested, And that testing will reveal what we've actually done in the kingdom of God. Does that make sense? That all work? All right. uh, Once upon a time when we were in the hospital uh, with our oldest son, Luke, there was a group of young doctors. They weren't the main doctor. They were all of the like underling doctors. I don't know what you call them. Um, But they came in to check on Luke. Um, And they came in very early in the morning, came into his room, flipped on all the lights, went over and poked and prodded at Luke and did all their stuff, never said good morning to him, never did anything like that, just woke him up. He was sleeping soundly, so he was trying to recover from a big surgery. And after they did all their poking and prodding and joking with each other, then they left the room, uh, didn't even turn off the lights on their way out. Okay, now, um, y'all don't know my wife as well as I do, but most of the time... Uh, she's a very calm, quiet person. She has, most of the time, she has what she would call a gentle spirit. Okay? Most of the time. All right. That group of doctors came around again a few minutes later, and my gentle spirit wife turned into a mama bear. Okay? And she said, come here. Right? And she got all those doctors lined up, and then she gave them a what for. And she told them, that is not how you treat people. The way you treat people is like this, and you've scared my baby incredibly, and you've done all this and this and this, and your, your uh, bedside manner needs some serious work. Now, what is it that changed her from her nice, normal, gentle spirit into being mama bear? Did she do that because she was upset about something that was happening to her? No. She wasn't focused on herself. What was she focused on? She was focused on her kids. She was focused on something that she loves more than she loves herself. You see where I'm going with this? If we're focused on ourselves, then we'll be overwhelmed by fear and anxiety and all the things that are happening around us. If we're focused on something that we care about more than ourselves, then we can do anything. Okay? So what's Paul saying here in this verse? 
Okay, if we are building the temple of the living God, if we are focused on the mission of Jesus Christ, then all of our unhealthiness, all of our selfishness, all of our fears, all of that fades away because we recognize how important it is, the thing that we're building and what we're doing. Someday our work will be judged. Someday God will judge the work that we have been doing. Are we truly living our lives focused on something bigger than we are or do we live dominated by fear and anxiety because we're focused on ourselves? Are we really focused on the mission of God? All right, notice how Paul finishes this section. Start verse 18. He says, Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight, as it is written. He catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours, and you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. Okay, here's my final question for us this morning. That is, am I boasting in the right thing? Am I truly boasting about things that actually matter? Okay, this ties together a lot of what we've talked about up to this point in the entire letter. He says, remember the kingdom of God turns everything on its head. Okay, if I'm boasting about how smart or wise I am in the eyes of the world, then I'm foolish in the things that actually matter. Right, but if I'm living with Jesus first in my life, if I'm truly focused on building the kingdom of God, I'm not focused on myself, that's going to look like foolishness to the world. Am I boasting in what's right? Okay, I think the last phrase is where Paul makes his main point. Where again, he makes his point, he says, all things are yours. It doesn't matter what worldly leader you're following. It doesn't matter which apostle you most identify with. It doesn't matter what the different gifts of different people are. Everything is already yours because you belong to Jesus and he's already conquered everything. You belong to Jesus. I ran across a quote this week. I thought this was brilliant. I think it sums this up perfectly. This is, faith isn't a matter of knowing that you've it all together because you haven't. It's a matter of knowing that somewhere it is all together and that you're a part of it. If I'm truly part of the work that Jesus is doing, if I'm contributing to the faith that he has laid as our foundation, right? if I'm focused on what we are doing when we gather together as the people of God, man, that matters. Am I boasting in the right thing? Am I focused on what really matters? Or am I still chasing my own selfish desires, trying to make me look good, Uh, worried about all the wrong things, right? So much of what scripture teaches us is you really have to pick a lane. Hey, you can either be in the lane with Jesus, doing the Jesus thing, or you can be in the lane with yourself, trying to make yourself look good and trying to focus on what you want. But you can't do both. We got to pick a lane. All right, at this time in our service, uh, we are going to sing a few verses of an invitation song. During the singing of this song, I will be down front. One of our shepherds will be down front. This is the time in our service where we want to be here for you as the church. Uh, We would love to talk with you or pray with you about anything that's going on in your life. We'd love to talk with you more about what it means to put Jesus first in your life and to truly live for him and to build on him as your foundation. Uh, But this is a time where we want to help you. Before we sing that song, I'd like to close us with a word of blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you and give you peace.